0: We're now in the huddle with Coach Call's Time Out, the podcast that dissects the mind of a different basketball coach every episode. We uncover what makes them successful and how their story translates to your coaching journey. Let's unlock your team's potential together. Welcome to episode 28 of the Coach Calls Timeout Podcast, Dan Jonker here. This episode is the last one before we take a break for the offseason. We have a bunch of stuff on our to-do list to help make Coach Call's Timeout a better resource for all basketball coaches. We'll get into that a little bit later. For now, we're going to answer some of the reoccurring questions we get through Twitter conversations we have with coaches. By the way, our Twitter handle is at Coach Calls Time. Feel free to follow us or send us a message. We're constantly posting articles about basketball, coaching decisions we see, and we even put some game and practice film in there too. We have the five most popular questions we've received from coaches. We being myself and my two brothers, Brian and Brady. We are the members of Coach Calls Time Out. I'm going to read each question, and then we'll jump into a conversation I had with my brothers on each topic. Let's get to the first one. What is the best way to attack a junk defense? When we say junk defense, we're talking about box in one or triangle in two. two Let's jump into the discussion. Brian, what do you guys run against those types of defense with your teams? We
1: haven't seen a lot of junk defense over the years ourselves, Not ourselves, um, but we we implement or we use uh, junk defenses four or five times a year, typically. I'm a proponent of throwing different things at people. So we'll go box and one or triangle and two. We did it a couple of times effectively, the triangle and two this year. It won us a game, actually. And what I find is that um, obviously the other teams don't prepare for it, therefore typically don't know how to to attack it. And I think that's why we get this question as often as we do. What I constantly would recommend is to run your man offense against any junk defense. The last thing that you want to do is to um, acquiesce and do what the other team wants you to, which would be to take your best player out of the game. So um, I once had a coach, a team played a box and one on me, for instance, and I was a perimeter shooter. And uh, our coach put me at the foul line and said, okay, now they're playing a 2-1-2 zone <laughs> instead of a box and one. And let's run our zone offense, which in principle sounds great, but what he did is exactly what they wanted. And that was, you know, they put your best outside shooter standing at the free throw line and kind of made me useless. Oh yeah. And um, I would run, I'd run your man to man stuff.
0: And the weak point of the zone is the middle. And now they're playing man to man in the middle. (laughs) It's not too hard to guard that spot.
1: Right. So the attempt was being made to think outside the box and how you might attack it but i don't know that was the the best idea and as opposed to making things up on the fly um i would just tend to go back to let's running our man-to-man stuff and in a lot of cases that usually means some screening or some ball attacks or whatever it might be and uh, that's probably going to be as effective as anything else
0: brady what did you do when they ran box and one against you uh, they actually they did one. Uh,
2: Neil Stamer, Neil Stamer, and we lost. The coach, the coach threw me in a corner. He said, "Go stand in the corner." I said, "All right." And I stood there all game and never touched the ball. We
1: lost. Are you sure that isn't what he wanted? Yeah, your own coach.
2: <laughs> uh, maybe, but we were pretty bad, so. <laughs>
0: question two what is the right way, right way. to discipline I Say right way in quotes what is the right way to discipline obviously there's no right way brian what what's your philosophy on discipline within practices or even outside of game time practice time what kind of discipline or rules do you do you set for your teams
1: well there's a there's a couple of different things when you talk about rules Um, believe it or not, I heard Bobby Knight once say, and this is going to be hard to believe because everybody thinks he's such a, uh, drill sergeant taskmaster, you know, do everything my way the highway. But I heard him once say that, be careful. You don't have too many rules because when you have rules, you got to enforce them. He wanted room for wiggle room for how to to do things. And by not having a lot of set rules, it gives you some flexibility as a coach. Um, I, I think in general, though, discipline, as long as you're consistent, I think that's all that matters. Uh, and when I say consistent, um, it's about being fair. And life in general, not necessarily is everybody treated uh, cre- treated equally, but you need to be treated treated fairly. So, you know, Jimmy Johnson, that used to coach the Dallas Cowboys, has a great story of you know he cut a cut a guy because he fell asleep in a meeting and they said, Why'd you you know, he's a practice player and they said, Well the media says, Well what if I was Troy Aikman who fell asleep in the in the film session and he said I would have walked to the back of the room, tapped him on the shoulder and said, Troy, wake up. And he felt that there's a there's a scale. And if you're a hard working, high performing person you're at the, and and a coachable guy, you're at the top of the scale. If you're not as coachable, a lower performer and not as hard a worker, you're at the bottom of the scale. And somewhere within that scale you fit. And your discipline and your rules, and your not rules, but your um, your discipline and the consistency in which it's applied, um, is more geared towards where you fit on that scale. And I, I think that's more of a true measure in life. I mean, if you've got an extremely high performer, um, you you tend to be more willing to work with and get through problems than you know you don't you don't want your lower performing people not working hard and having to spend a lot of time and being high maintenance. So, you know, if you can be consistent and fair, I think that's that's the biggest challenge.
0: So, we're we're taping this on the Wednesday before the final four and there's this week there's been a ton of different stories about Frank Martin and his coaching style and how he's perceived by outsiders. Bri, you wanted to bring up and talk about the uh the perception of a coach and how different it can be if you only watch them on the sidelines as opposed to getting into their their huddles, their practices, understanding the communication that goes into and the building of relationships that go into that. So what's been your take in the last few days of interviews listening to Frank Martin on on different shows? What have you learned about him that you didn't know beforehand, or what do you? Has your perception changed on him at all?
1: Yeah, it has, and and more importantly, it's probably provided a good lesson and uh and one that I've thought I'd followed up until maybe this point, which is I try very hard not to judge anybody without actually knowing them. The difference is that when you watch, you know, coaches' behaviors on the sidelines and those types of things, you feel like you get an opportunity to know that person through the television. The reality is that you probably don't. So when you watch this big drama- demonstrative physical presence on the sideline, he tends to look negative, um, berate his players, very forceful, those types of things, which are almost the opposite of what I am on a sideline. Then, you know, my perception has been, well, geez, that guy's an ass and I wouldn't want to play for him and I wouldn't want my kids to play for him and I would never do that. And then you get a chance this week to, I listen to a lot of podcasts, sports podcasts, and I've heard him interviewed at least three different times this week. Every time I hear him, I like him more and more. If you watch the reaction that his kids had after they won towards him, they genuinely were extremely happy for him that they won. And you're not going to get that reaction if um, you aren't building relationships and genuinely don't care about the kids that you're coaching. They're not going to feel that way about you if, if at the same time you're upset and screaming and yelling at them. You're also not hugging them and patting them on the back, whether it's behind closed doors or in amongst your team. And uh, it sounds to me like people genuinely, genuinely like him. So uh, my opinion of him has changed dramatically over
0: the last the last week. I think with Frank Martin, he recruits a type of player that is going to be able to take the criticism that he's going to be giving. You watch his team and they are a tough team. So obviously they like what the message that they're getting from him. They, they want to play hard for him. They want to impress him. They want to do everything right for him. But I also think he probably has to... It's probably a little tougher to recruit for him because he's going to have to recruit a certain type of person that is going to be able to handle being criticized a little more than other coaches would
2: when i watched the game on on the weekend there and they were playing the the one thing they did say is the point guard that they have there it it took frank martin one phone call to recruit him he called him and all he said to him was i want you i need my i need a new york city point guard to run my team and immediately the kid was sold he didn't even have to meet him one phone call the kid was there so he obviously knows the type of player that he needs that that New York City tough kid to play his point guard and run the team, and, and, he, and he runs with it.
1: And, like, clearly,
2: it wasn't hard for him to get him. So there's lots of guys out there that that are like that, just a matter of finding him.
1: But I also think you say that you got to have a certain type of person. That might be true, but if he's doing the other side of things too, which is picking them up and praising them and building relationships um, that can negate some of the, the, um, the yelling and screaming or whatever you want to consider it. Uh, I'm sure he considers it pushing them to their limits. I mean, if you saw a couple of the quotes this week, one of the ones that was passed around quite frequently was a, the one where uh, he said people are saying kids are different these days and he said they're not different. He said adults are different. We don't expect as much and we don't push as much in our children and it's not the kids that have changed, it's the adults and I think that's a fair statement and uh, he comes from a teaching background and he really likes teaching so uh, I'm gonna guess that you know behind the scenes the things you don't see make up for a lot of the stuff that you do see and I think that that's why probably people want to play for him.
0: Question 3. How can my team get better at transition defense? The short answer is repetition. You need to practice it a lot before it gets comfortable. But let's dive back into the conversation for a little bit more. It's definitely a hot-button topic, especially now that teams are trying to emulate the Golden State Warriors and they're trying to play faster. They're playing a lot more possessions, so there's more opportunity for transition offense and defense what What kind of things do you talk about in practice in order to get better at transition defense?
1: Well you, you have to practice it for sure. I mean you if, if you're struggling in transition defense, you got to practice it and you you have to establish rules so that it's not a free-for-all. I mean, if you want to say that some some people call it the get back guy, if you want the get back guy to be the guy who's at the top of the key when the shot's taken, you want that get-back guy to be uh, this set player because he really doesn't rebound ever anyway. Whatever it is, that first person has to know their responsibility.
0: By the way, it could get-back um, guy or girl.
1: Get-back player, yes. <laughs> um, but they, the responsibility is to always stop the ball first, and then you can establish other rules for the other players that are sprinting back. You know, who's picking up a trailer, who's picking up the wing guy, second guy picks up this guy. Whatever your team rules are, you need to practice that. And you need to practice it daily. I mean, if that's an issue, you gotta practice it daily. And like you said, the game's getting faster and faster. So if you uh, if you don't practice those things, you know, you you're not gonna improve at it. And what we'll do is we'll do odd man rushes obviously, right? So we'll have maybe three defenders and four offensive guys throw the ball off the glass, three guys gotta sprint back, and then that's also works on your offense as well. So you get an opportunity to do both ends of the thing. And uh, again, the more you practice it at live speed, full court, then uh, the better you're going to get at it.
0: So in episode 15 of our podcast, we had Butch Carter on, former coach of the Raptors, and he talked about something that we hadn't really thought about too much before, and is that coaches need to spend more time practicing transition offense or defense I can't remember the number that he gave, but it was a high percentage of the game is actually spent in transition, switching from offense to defense or defense to offense. I know for myself, my playing career, we spent a lot of time at one half of the court practicing offense, then you switch and you go to the defensive side. There wasn't a ton of down and backs, and that's what people should be focusing on, because a high percentage of the game is spent in those transition moments. Question four: What can I do to improve my team's ability to finish and score? Brian and Brady have some specific ways to see results on this one. I Let's get into have it. Is something that can benefit a lot of youth coaches. My team is struggling to score. We're first-time players. Have some shooters and good movement, but we just can't seem to finish. How do you coach finishing, scoring? Is that possible?
1: I mean, Brady, what did, you know, it's, it's what did we do with the girls for four years? It all started, if
2: you look back, I mean, we started every practice off, and, and the goal was to, to make 100 right-handed layups as a team and then 100 left-handed layups as a team. I mean, in grade five, um, the left-handed layups sometimes started as using your right hand, but by grade six, they they're using their left hand, and every year you just improved. And you really can't the ability to finish and – It's not not the easiest, but it's something you have to practice. We spend probably 30 minutes of practice on fundamentals every year, grade five, grade six, grade seven, grade eight, because you can play up and down as fast as you want, but if you don't have the fundamentals – You just, you're not gonna, it's not gonna come together. So what kind of things, what
0: do you mean with right hand, left hand layups? Like, was it just a layup line that you did for half an hour or? Yeah,
2: we did full court, full court layup drills up and down with the whole team until they made a hundred. They'd go one side to the next side and it was just a continuous circle around the gym until they made a hundred layups with the right hand and then a hundred layups with the left hand. You know, block to block shooting drills. You know, one minute going block to block. See how many you can make. Make it a competition with the team. You know, see who makes the most and make it a competition. Keep track of who has the best and, and strive for something for everyone to beat. It makes it more fun for them because sometimes the fundamentals. You know, everybody sees Steph Curry shooting threes, and that's the first thing people want to do when they get in the gym is shoot three pointers. Well, that, you're not going to get better doing that. You gotta, you gotta start from the layup line. You know, take. Go till you make ten in a row from two feet, then take a step back and make ten in a row from five feet, and then make ten in a row from eight feet, and then and then you develop that range. You can't just go out there and start checking it. It totally messes with your form. I know from those few years we coached, if if you looked at our team do a layup line before games, our team was by far you know, we were we weren't the most skilled when it came to the court, but fundamentally when it came to doing a layup and doing them properly, right hand, left hand there weren't any other teams that could do the right hand, left hand layups like our team could. You know, finishing comes with confidence, and if you continue to practice it, they get confident and, and they'll finish games.
1: Yeah, and we, as we got older, or as the girls got older, you know, like Brady said, in grade five we're doing right handed, left handed. In grade six they're shooting more with their left, and by grade eight we actually, you know, we had them doing layups, reverse layups under the rim, and kind of euro step layups and. So it just kept advancing and advancing. So as they got older and their repetitions were better, then we kept adding things and adding things so that their skill level in finishing got
0: better. And you won a championship in grade 8. We actually won in grade 7 and grade 8, different
1: levels. I, we I won believe in we won Division 4 in grade 7 and then bumped up and won in grade grade 8 in, in Division 3. So, yeah, we moved up every single year. We moved up a division. In the last two years, we won those divisions. But... Um that wasn't necessarily our goal our goal was our ultimate goal was to have all twelve of our girls um, make their high school basketball teams and uh, and we started with them in grade five and uh, last year they were all in grade nine and all twelve of them made their high school team so that was I think what we we're most proud of that enough skills were provided and enough repetition and enough hard work that made them valuable enough to all make their different high school teams and uh, for me, that was the proudest I was. I didn't over any games you won.
2: And the coolest part about it is that it was pretty well the same flow from grade five to grade eight, and to see them continue on and go go into high school and all still want to play and and have the opportunity to play is is really cool.
1: And I thought it was really neat this year to be able to go to the high school games in town for the grade nine girls and see all of our girls playing on different teams against each other. It was pretty neat.
0: I'm gonna throw in a little technical aspect as well shooting and finishing like brady said it's it's confidence but it's confidence and repetition are way more important than the actual form of your shot i mean look at how many different great shooters steph curry reggie miller larry bird they all shoot completely differently from each other it's just about confidence and repetition if you think it's going in you see it going in You've already increased your chances that it's actually gonna go in. If yeah,
1: if you I mean I would I would suggest there obviously is an optimal form, I think, to give yourself the best percentage or best chance at a higher percentage shooting. And if you're starting out with little kids and your your repetition is at that form, that's the ideal. By the time they get to me at the college level, if some guy shots funky but he makes a decent percentage, I wouldn't mess with it ever. I mean, like you said, just keep shooting and lots of repetition, and your shot's your shot. Look at Lon- look at Lonzo Balls right now. I mean, you know, nobody would teach that. <laughs> just his no, crazy dad. All.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the... all
2: three of them shoot like that, so I don't like the way they shoot is super weird, I and mean, their dad definitely taught them to shoot like that because there's no way all three of them just
1: naturally shoot wrong they probably all shot thousands and
0: thousands and
1: thousands of shots for sure so they're
0: good at it even the the people with poor form who aren't good shooters it's probably because they've been told a thousand times in their lives that their shot is weird ugly broken whatever so their confidence is is like you got to build that back up you'll be able to build it up quicker than if you tell them to change their shot
2: Confidence is important. It really matters when it comes to shooting. It's it's 95% of it. If you have a coach that believes in you and says, you know, go shoot it, put it in, it's all the difference. It really is.
0: Last question, number five. What can I do to ensure my team's fourth quarters are just as good as the first three quarters? kind of relates to the confidence issue again Brian do you have any tips that you can give Um, map situations
1: out like say you know down by two 40 seconds left up by six a minute and a half left you know different things like that and pick situations at the end of practices maybe the last depends your age group and how serious it is and all those things but um, you know we'll spend 15 minutes or something like that at the end of practices probably not as much as past year as we should have but Going through situations and practicing them. So when you actually come into the game and you're, you're dealing with them, guys say, okay, well, we're down two with uh, 30 seconds left. We know we want to do this offensively. If we score and we've tied it, then we want to do this defensively. And you go through the scenarios and you go over them and over them and over them until they can basically perform just on their own by knowing what's expected or wanted. So like anything else, you got to if you want to improve in those areas, you got to practice. I think the other important thing as a as a coach is to realize that your demeanor and the way you handle things will very much be reflected in how your players do it. So if you're the kind of guy that gets upset, panicked, your voice starts getting panicked, in your time out you're giving a ton of instructions and whatever you can expect your players to also be panicked, maybe confused or stressed or so you know, if you want your players to act a certain way, then, then you need to act that way yourself because they'll mimic what you're doing, and they'll sense if you're unsure, unconfident in whatever's going to happen. Um, if you're confident, you believe in what you teach, you believe in what you're saying, and you do it in a in a confident, controlled manner. I think you can expect the best results.
0: We have a big announcement to make here at Coach Calls Timeout. We've been working on creating practice plans for a few months now and they're finally up on the website in the members area right now. These plans have been meticulously thought out and we're adding more every single month. We have early season and mid-season plans for the elementary school ages and the high school ages. You can literally follow the plans and watch your team develop as the season progresses. Each minute of your practices will be planned out to maximize efficiency and development, and each plan has links to the drills on our website, which explain and teach the critical areas to focus on. You can go to coachcallstimeout.com and sign up for our email list to sample two plays and one of our practice plans for free. We'll even send you a bonus video. Again, go to coachcallstimeout.com. I'll also provide a link to the email list and a screenshot of one of the practice plans in the show notes of this episode at coachcallstimeout.com slash 28 By the way, becoming a member of Coach Calls Timeout only costs $30 annual. There's no gimmicks and you can cancel any time. As a member, you'll get access to all of our video plays, our drills, and our practice plans and anything else that we can come up with to help you along your coaching journey. So let's talk about the off-season. Like every player and coach, our goal at Coach Calls Time Out is to get better this off-season. We're taking the summer off from the podcast in order to provide more value to our members. We're adding situation-specific plays and drills, and now practice plans every single month. They're easy to follow, and everything can be downloaded directly to your laptop, phone, or tablet. You can bring the plays, drills, and practice plans with you everywhere you go. Watch the videos anytime you want. You can also send them to your players to use as study guides to help your team become more efficient and effective. So that's our plan. Add more content, seek feedback from our members, and continue our great conversations with coaches on Twitter. Send us a message. Let us know what you plan to do to get better this offseason. We love to hear from coaches of all levels. Our Twitter handle is at CoachCallsTime or go to CoachCallsTimeout.com and click Contact at the bottom of the page. We'll be back again in October with more interviews with successful basketball coaches. If you're listening on iTunes and you don't want to miss the new episodes, you can subscribe to our show to automatically receive them as soon as they become available in October. If you're listening online, you can sign up for our newsletter and we'll send a message when new episodes come out. Have a great off season. As the legendary coach John Wooden said, the best way to improve the team is to improve yourself.